the lizard the size of Tony. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> well, that's huge. You are listening to Welcome back to another episode of the Urban Wildlife Podcast. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Billy Brown. I've also got our other co-host, Tony Crosdale. It's been a while. <laughs> it's a lot of fun to be back together. Um, and uh, we've got uh, who's our third person? Go ahead, real quick. All right. Um, my name is Ivan Kwan. I am from Singapore, and I am a nature guide over here. Lovely. Um, so before we get into to why we're having Ivan on the podcast and a lot of fun stuff about Singapore, I'll do the really basic um, reminders that that if you like our podcast, please like us on your podcast listening platform of choice. Please tell your friends about it. Share it on social media. Make sure you listen to all the Wildlife Observer Network podcasts. Um, we got a great family of podcasts now, um, so please check those out as well. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on, on email at urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com. Again, urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at herbwildlifecast. Um, we've got a Facebook page too, so you can find us there. Um, please let us know um, what you're interested in uh, and what you'd like to talk about. And we have Ivan on today because he is a listener and he might be our most dedicated listener ever. Ivan, <laughs> Ivan emailed me. And he said he'd listened to every single podcast episode we ever put up. And at that point, I was like, well, he's got to come on on about something. And then he has some great ideas to come on the podcast. So you too, pitch us some, some ideas that you want to hear on the podcast. We'll get you on here. Um, Tony, real quick, where you been the past few months? Uh, I've been in dad land. But also, I mean, nice. I, I still – I with the expansion to the Wildlife Observer Network, I still have been regularly on – in some people's feeds, if they subscribe to, to the Wildlife Observer Network feed, not just the Urban Wildlife feed, the all of the Urban Wildlife feed uh, podcasts are on the the Wildlife Observer Network feeds as well. Um, but you know, because partly because of me being a new dad, and also partly because of expanding, sometimes uh, Billy will do things on his own uh, without me, just because it's just. Um, it's easier to do it that way when we're projecting yeah. so many things. I've been a new uh, dad a couple of times myself. I know what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I got to say, um, the um, this is very nostalgic. You know, like this is where it started. And I almost feel like doing more has made me like appreciate the Urban Wildlife Pack podcast even, even more because it is, I feel like one of the reasons we expanded it was because we felt like we were almost too narrow in scope. Um, but with that said, like, the reason why we started something so narrow is because it's so near and dear to Billy and I's hearts. And yeah. so I'm really excited. And I'm excited to be talking to someone from a place I've been to and one of the places that I think is one of the, maybe the best city in the world to, for wildlife, you know, observation. Like if, if you really like being in a crazy, you know, metropolis with like, that's really imposing with, you know, and observing nature. Like, I don't know if a better example exists than Singapore. Hey, I want to, and I want to do a quick setup for, for Ivan here, because I remember when I was, this is years ago, we were doing a, an episode where I was talking to, I wanted to do something about urban pythons in Southeast Asia. And so um, I was at some forum or online or, or Facebook or something, I was asking people, you know, who should I talk to about this? And I was like, what about Singapore and some other 
Herpers were like, nah, don't do Singapore. Singapore, yeah, it's a city, but there's so much green space, it almost doesn't even count as like urban wildlife anymore. Um, do Bangkok. Bangkok's a real city. Um, and so uh, you're not saying Singapore isn't a city, but for people who've never been there before, um, talk about what it's like. Like, what's the green space like? What are the urban non-green spaces like? Sort of give us sort of the nature guide's quick overview of what Singapore's like. All right. So um, for Singapore, for those of you who don't know much about our little island nation state, we are a tiny little country, um, just barely north of the equator. Um, and we are, we are a really tiny country. I'm not too sure how large it is relative to some of the U.S. cities. But um, we lost a lot of our original habitat a long time ago. So we were a British colony from um, 1819. And along the way, so we've only just celebrated 200 years of Singapore um, being a thing. Uh, previously, before that, historically, we were part of various other Southeast Asian uh, empires and nation states and all that. But uh, from 1819 onwards, we suffered a lot of deforestation. So originally we, we were covered in um, tropical rainforest, like what you would get in much of Malaysia and Indonesia. Um, our coastlines were fringed with mangroves and coral reefs and, and, and all those other coastal habitats. But a lot of that was lost, um, not only during the, the years under the British and also um, during World War II when we were occupied by the Japanese. But when Singapore became an independent um, sovereign state in 1965, our development accelerated a lot. So we, we uh, underwent a lot of rec uh, reclamation of the coastal areas. So that was when we lost a lot of our coastal mangroves and our coral reefs and a lot of our natural marine um, habitats. Um, but at the same time, um, we also underwent a lot of um, urban greening. So even while we were lose, um, even after we had lost a great deal of our original primeval habitats, um, a lot of uh, efforts were being made to plant trees and provide gardens and parks in our um, urban spaces. So although Singapore is considered, um, it's 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 quite a it's a urban place. It's very densely populated, but even along most of the streets, um, everywhere you walk, there are trees lining the sidewalks and al along the streets. There are um, little patches of grasslands. There are um, flowering shrubs and bushes in every housing estate everywhere. So we do have some nature reserves that preserve a very small proportion of our original habitats but we have this very large uh, network of parks and gardens and just um, roadside urban vegetation that provides habitats for some of the more resilient and um, adaptable species here in Singapore. So yeah, um, the, reticulate, the reticulated pythons are among those because they use our drains and sewers to move around and they will sometimes pop up of toilet bowls and and, and, and they'll just sometimes hang around um, near the outdoor. Um, I, I've always wanted that to happen in my house, but it's just never going to happen <laughs> that I that I wake up in the morning and find a python in the bathroom. That just would be, I'm one yeah. of the few people in the world who'd be thrilled by that. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did have some um, older articles from the 1980s of people sitting on the toilet and they got bitten by a python. So that's quite a surprise you don't want. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
Um, so uh, before we get, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna claim a little bit of time before I throw it into the birding discussion. That and then I'll sit back and and I think Tony will take it from there. But um, but one of the we were we were kicking around some ideas by email about what to talk about for the podcast, and I I wanted to steer it more towards critters that you'd find in um, let's say the not in the preserve areas, but in the the places where people really you know live and and do their business. Um, you had mentioned water monitors, um, and so <clears throat> talk a little bit about those because that was, you know, you, you chose it for a good reason. This is a spectacular animal that I would not expect to find in the middle of a city. Yep. So yeah, um, the Asian water monitor, or also called the Malayan water monitor, it's this pretty large, very imposing, very majestic um, large lizard. Gets to about two meters in length, um, sometimes reaching three meters. There are apparently some old records of them exceeding three meters, which, which would make them longer than Komodo dragons. I'm not too sure about the, the reliability of those old records, but they are apparently one, one of the contenders for the second largest lizard in the world. The lizard the, the size of Tony, we'll just put it that way. <laughs> wow, that's huge. <laughs> right. yeah, I mean, they, they, they can get that large uh, and they do seem to do pretty well in many of our urban parks and even in the urban drainage systems. So um, for a large lizard that's um, a carnivore, it's a very adaptable um, opportunist. So they are predators and also scavengers and they just seem to, uh, to thrive on all the, the other things that live among them um, in the city. So sometimes people will be walking along the drains and the canals um, on their way home or when they're out um, for, a, for a morning or evening run along the canals. And then you'll see this large monitor lizard just either basking in the sun nearby or swimming in the canals um, or maybe even just munching on the dead fish that, uh, that they found. And sometimes these monitor lizards, they will crawl up out of the parks and um, into um, the housing estates. So sometimes um, they might just end up at someone's front door, which has happened before uh, for those people who live on the ground floor. And then sometimes you, you uh, because most of our urban residential housing areas, they are high rises and they leave most of the ground floor open. So you, these are what we call void decks. I don't think that's a term that you hear being used in the, in the US. So these void decks are just basically these open spaces for people to, to walk through below the, the, the blocks. And yeah. sometimes people will find mortal lizards just uh, moving around um, right in the middle of the, of the housing estate. And sometimes they get cornered and then that's when um, they have to call the local wildlife rescue services to try to um, move them away. So, so I guess you just mentioned something cool to me. Like, so part of what I was going to ask was, okay, um, the, you know, how do people react when they see a large lizard on their morning walk? But the other thing is that you, you said there's a wildlife services unit that comes and handles wildlife. Can you, yes. what is that? Okay. Um, so for a long time, um, this was kind of like, uh, a bit like a free for all. So it was up to our own local society for the prevention of cruelty to animals to handle some of these wildlife cases, but they, their focus is mostly on domestic animals and pets, right? Um, then we had this uh, charity coming up uh, called Acres. I can't remember the exact uh, definition, uh, the, the, uh, what it all stands for, 
but uh, let me just bring it up. And ACUS stands for, uh, let me see, Animal Concerns Research and Education Society. So um, they, are, um, they are a charity and they've been doing wildlife rescues 24-7, uh, uh, free of charge for the, I think pretty much about the, uh, the last decade. So whenever people call them, um, there's an injured bird or there's a snake somewhere where they don't want it, want it to be. There's a mortal lizard, a monkey, otters, wild boar, even sometimes for the smaller crocodiles that wander into places that they're not supposed to be. Um, Acres often gets called for this sort of um, cases. And then recently, our own government service that um, manages um, the green spaces and also the biodiversity, um, the National Parks Board, they also have... Uh, been involved in quite a number of these wildlife rescue uh, cases. Yeah, so right now we have we have this this few organizations involved in in uh, rescuing wildlife from people in most cases. Um. So, I, let's put a Tony. Let's put a pin in that wild boar comment for some point. Yeah, and the crocodiles. <laughs> we'll circle back to the crocodiles <laughs> if we've got time at the end. Um, yep. But hey, the other idea was something that I think is much more up Tony's alley, so I'll hand it over to him. But uh, you're talking about the minor birds of Singapore. Um, and so for, as a guy who knows that only that minor birds are related to starlings and they're, you know, birds that people sometimes keep in cages, like, um, yeah, what, 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 is, what is interesting about the minor birds of Singapore? Well, um, the minus of Singapore is um, is a species that I think a lot of uh, people outside of Southeast Asia are not familiar with. It's called the Javan minor. So in many other places around um, the world, the common minor or the Indian minor is the one that's been introduced and it's become invasive, right? Um, over here, the common minor is considered a native. Uh, it apparently naturally immigrated here to Singapore from further north. I think sometime in the late 19th for earlier 20th century. So it was a natural colonization, uh, probably in response to ongoing deforestation and um, development of, of this, this region. So the common miner was for the longest time our standard um, urban scavenger. So in Singapore, we don't have the, we don't have the, the full unholy trio of um, urban invasive birds. So uh, we have feral pigeons, definitely. We have a small population of house um, sparrows. Um, they are very limited in their range, but the common sparrow you see everywhere in, in the urban landscape is its close relative, the Eurasian tree sparrow. And uh, the European starling, I, it's not here. I think it's been recorded a few times, but I'm, we're not sure whether they are they are just lost birds from, from the Northern Hemisphere or whether they were escapees from captivity and, and all that. But their close relatives, um, the miners, they've been doing very well. So the Javan miner is the equivalent of the European starling here in Singapore. It's a very intelligent, adaptable scavenger. So you see uh, uh, pairs of them basically everywhere. They'll, they'll be looking for insects and seeds and fruits. Um, sometimes when you are at the outdoor dining areas at the coffee shops and restaurants, they'll be flying down and swooping on 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 the, on the leftovers when people leave the tables. And then sometimes they even fly into um, the air-conditioned seating areas. So I've seen 
um, uh, Javan miner just waiting outside a KFC and then waiting for someone, for some visit for customer to open the door and then you swoop in and you will just uh, go, go around and start eating leftovers until you get, sh get sh uh, shooed out by the staff and then after a while it will be coming back in again. And so they're, they're very smart birds. They've even been seen flying into people's kitchens to peck at, at a food that's left unattended. And so they're, they're really brilliant birds, but the thing is, is that, that the Javan miner is an invasive species over here in Singapore. So apparently it was brought in um, as part of um, the cage bird trade. It got out, it was first recorded, I think sometime in the 1920s in Singapore. And then it's just been, uh, uh, it's been established and it's been thriving ever since. So it Wait, is considered- I'm getting mixed up. So we've yeah. got so the minor birds. Which species was it that 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 um, expanded its range spontaneously from the north? Um, the common or Indian minor. Got it. So you've got those that sort of naturally came in with deforest or spontaneously came in through after deforest deforestation happened, and then the yes. Javan minas are are released cage birds for the most part. Yep. What, so, what was what was the default yep. minor? Let's say seventy years ago. I would say probably the common miner, I would think. Uh, <laughs> I definitely wasn't around 70 years ago, but I well, think... I know, but yeah. 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 Okay. Based, based, on the older, uh, based on the older bird guides we have for the region, I think the common miner was, was considered um, the common one. Okay. Um, I, I think they already recorded the Javan miner uh, uh, hanging around um, the towns and villages during that time. But in recent decades, the Javan miner has really thrive to the point that the common miner is now not so common anymore. Hmm. So it's, it's basically effectively displaced the common miner. It's still around. Uh, you can still find it uh, everywhere in urban areas and in some um, areas not so close to humans. But the common miner is a much rarer bird these days compared to the Javan miner. So you get flocks of thousands of Javan miners uh, all coming to roost in in the trees in some neighborhoods and that's when people complain about the noise and the food uh. and all that so it is it, it can be quite a nuisance um the thing is that is that they don't create the murmurations that you see in european styling so they don't have that for uh, going for them yeah we've um discussed um common miners before on this podcast yeah. uh, because there is a population in south florida and so when I discuss when I discuss my trip to uh, Miami to see a lot of these um, alien species that are naturalized in South Florida uh, that you can count on your American Bird Association list, <laughs> I uh, that was one of the ones I saw. They're nesting in a streetlight. <laughs> yeah, the miners are very adaptable birds for um, in the urban landscapes. So they will just nest in all sorts of weird places, um, behind air conditioners, in in in, uh, in gutter pipes and all that. Hey, Tony, so what do you remember from your birding in Singapore? Um, well, I'm trying to remember what I saw in just the, like, um, in like that prop, in the city proper. Um, I'm sh you know, I, I know, I'm sure I saw miners, um, but they're just, miners are just ubiquitous in cities um, throughout the world um you know miners are starlings right they're just a type of starling um and uh so starlings um anywhere there's starlings they're like 
ubiquitous. You know, uh, Africa has a ton of, of gorgeous darlings as well. Uh, Australia has some um, common minas also lives there as well. So you kind of almost stop paying attention to minas. In fact, I was like thinking of looking at my eBird list to see if I recorded Java mina for um, Singapore because it might not have been on my radar that it was a different mina. You know, you just kind of like tune them out because yeah. you're like, you're so used to seeing them. I might have been, oh, this is, you know. Um, but anyway, so I remember seeing um, the only bird, it was to Singapore twice and I went to, um, correct my pronunciation please, but Sungi Bulo. Uh, Sungai Bulo. Um, which is one of the, the greatest places I've, I've ever been. Uh, <laughs> I used um, to work there. Oh, it's so it's maybe the, the best, um, has the greatest facilities I've ever seen for a, a nature reserve in, you know, in terms of amenities, you know, like all the hides and blinds and, and observation decks and the trails were just first class and the, the interpretive center was, was phenomenal. Um, but there, I, uh, you know, I, I should go to my list, but, uh, um, I remember, I uh, I saw Milky Stork um, mm-hmm. there. I saw um, white-bellied sea eagles. I saw a whole lot of you know uh, green shanks and Tarek sandpiper and and uh, mm-hmm. you know plovers and, and you know like lots of shorebirds. Uh, I forget which species of sunbird I saw. You know, um, I saw you know I'm trying to. You know, I should just bring up my eBird list, but uh, although what's funny is I at the time, but this is before eBird. Um, and what I would do, or at least before eBird had Asia in it, it only had, maybe only had America time, if it even existed then. Um, what I would do was I would just keep a list of new birds for my trip. So even if I would go to a place, I would just write down what was new for me. So I don't, so often I, you know, I might've seen some birds there that I saw in Malaysia or Thailand and didn't didn't record. Um, oh, I remember seeing it. I think I almost remember seeing a dollar bird when I was there. Oh, okay. A dollar bird, their type of roller. Um, they're a big, it's a big chunky songbird that likes to, um, it's an aerial feeder and it like, it's kind of like a, it's almost like a, like a songbird that became a kingfisher. Um, in terms, and mind you, in the rest of the world, kingfishers feed as much on terrestrial prey as, as aquatic prey. So kingfisher is like, you know, a, a kookaburra is a kingfisher. So, you know, these are like a big chunky, you know, they eat probably, you know, large insects um, and they, uh, they're really cool looking birds um, and they have a big red bill and they're dark metallic green with these white patches on their wings. They're very, very cool looking bird. So, yeah. Uh, but that's where I saw uh, the first time I ever saw a saltwater, you know, crocodile. Oh. oh, yes, yes. I remember you mentioned that before. And then I went back, you know, the second time we, we were, you know, Rambo played Singapore twice. And so I went there both times and I saw um, the, a crocodile there the second time. And it may have been the same one, even three years later. <laughs> is, is that true? Is early, but that's what someone told me. But maybe it was you. Maybe I saw you there. <laughs> but, uh, maybe that's 10, 10, 15 years ago. So. Did you happen to see uh, Taylor's over, over there? That's a Taylor's crocodile in Singapore. It's what? It's a crocodile without a tail, so we call that crocodile tailless. Oh, this one had a tail. So, oh, okay. but remember, this is like 10, 15 years ago. So, oh, okay, maybe it lost the tail. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so the Javan miner um, is is abundant in Singapore to the point that it's considered a pest. 
So it's one of the few species of birds um, in Singapore that's not protected by law. Uh, so in Singapore, most of our wildlife are covered under this uh, legal framework called the Wildlife Act. So only a few small handful of species are not covered. So that usually includes um, urban rodents and a few, uh, a few birds that are considered pest species. So things like the, the rock pigeon or feral pigeon. The Javan minor is another species that can apparently be culled uh, without any, any um, prior approval. So um, in Singapore, you are not allowed to catch any, any wild birds by yourself but the German miner is not one of them that enjoys these protections. Mm. But the ironic thing is that um, it is native range, so the, the Javan miner is native to the islands of Java and Bali in Indonesia, but because of the demand for the songbird trade, the Javan miner has also been uh, suffering from this widespread and rampant trapping for the cage bird trade in Indonesia. So in its native range, it is considered threatened. But here in Singapore, the ironic thing is it is so abundant that it's considered a pest. Huh. Yeah. So if you go to Bali you, or Jakarta, you can't see any Javan miners for the most part. You need to go to the outskirts in the more protect, in the protected areas. But here in Singapore, They're you, everywhere, you, walk, yeah. you can only count like a few hundred of them if you spend the whole day walking around outside. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. So, so talk about what your job is. Um, it, Go ahead. I mean, I know your title, but, but talk about what it's like to be an urban nature guide in, in Singapore. Uh, all right. So uh, I, I usually do guided walks for various clients. So for the most part, it's um, school students. So they, they usually, uh, the teachers will normally organize uh, field trips for them. So uh, I will bring them around some of the green spaces, the parks and nature reserves, and teach them about things like uh, what's biodiversity, talk to them about adaptations. It is often in, in line with the current curriculum for their, uh, for their le lessons. So whether it's for science or geography and that sort of thing. Um, I also get requests from uh, clients who are, uh, from the, who are from the corporate sector. So they are usually organizing uh, a little outing for their, um, work, for the, for their office. Uh, and then I'll bring them around and talk to them about why uh, conservation is important even for an urban uh, city like Singapore. Yeah. Then I also get um, some clients who are from the community groups. So these are usually on the weekends. So sometimes um, the, the neighborhood um, uh, community centers, they'll organize gathered walks for the residents. And so they'll all pile up into a bus and then they will visit, let's say, Sungai Buloh, or maybe some of our other parks and nature reserves, and basically just spend a Sunday or Saturday morning just walking around and learning about some of the biodiversity that can be found in Singapore. And because a lot of these residents, they are, they are um, from the older generations. So the thing about Singapore is that in the past, we, we urbanized very quickly uh, in the last 50 plus years. So we have people still alive today who actually grew up in the rural village setting which he grew up like um, on the plant uh, uh, who grew up on vegetable farms or chicken farms that, that sort of thing so most of those agricultural sector has been um, has been phased out they, we do still have some farms but they are mostly moving towards the high-tech style of farming 
but we do still have a lot of uh, res- uh, people in Singapore who grew up in, in the rural Southeast Asian village setting mm. uh, and then they were relocated and moved into public housing um, in the last 50 years after Singapore gained independence. So for, uh, for a lot of these older residents, just going out with them into the nature reserves is often very educational for the guides as well because um, yeah. they often share the stories about how in the old days they used to eat this plant or how they used to dig for clans in this area and, and that sort of thing. So it's often, um, it, it, it's, it's a trip down memory lane for a lot of these um, older nice. people. I wanted to throw in just one last little topic before we say goodbye. So let's say three or four minutes, wild boar. Um, talk real quick. Wild boar, we love this topic, Tony and I do. Um, <laughs> so like, what do you, what are wild boar like in Singapore? Oh, um, it's a very uh, relevant topic right now because wild boar just made the news here in Singapore. So um, wild boar were considered locally extinct for some time in Singapore. They recolonized the mainland uh, from our offshore islands um, to, to the north and also like most likely from sw- uh, swimming ac- across from Malaysia. So they recolonized Singapore and they started spreading through our forests. How far so, is it from Malaysia to how far a distance would that be there? Not, not very far at all. I, um, people often try to swim across and they get picked up by the Coast Guard. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's easy for a large swimming or flying animal to just make the crossing like that. It, so there's, for a, example, there's a bridge. Like, yes. Yeah, uh, so. we, have, we have two bridge, We have two causeways to Malaysia. But obviously, uh, not many people are us- using these causeways now in the time of the pandemic due to border restrictions. Uh, but yeah, I'm just it, saying that to Billy so he understands that like it's yeah like it's that it's close enough that there's a, a land bridge. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So so a lot of our wildlife is shared with Malaysia. Um so um as Malaysia is the, the southern coastline of Malaysia, the southernmost state of of, of uh, peninsula Malaysia is called Johor. So Johor is rapidly developing and urbanizing as well and we are receiving refugee species, animals that uh, were once very rare in Singapore and then came back from Malaysia and now they are thriving here as well. So for instance, um, species like the saltwater crocodile, the smooth-coated otters, the oriental pied hornbill uh, and the wild boar, these are all species that for the most part were considered either very rare or even locally extinct for some time. And so the wild boar came back and right now we don't really have that many large predators of wild boar here in Singapore. So historically, we would have the carnivores like the tiger and the leopard, but we shot all of them (laughs) uh, quite some time ago. Um, The only things that could probably take a wild boar right now are probably very exceptionally large reticulated pythons. Maybe a crocodile would take one if if a wild boar happened to be near uh, the river or in the mangroves. Uh, And maybe... Uh, a very, very bold pack of feral dogs might go for a piglet, for instance. But for the most that's part, not much in per- that, that doesn't amount to very much population control once they're there. Yeah. So, so right now, the biggest population control of the wild boar in Singapore are human beings. So they are culled here and there in some places um, through, through cage traps and, uh, and lethal injections. Uh, so we, we, don't, we don't have, we have hunting per se in Singapore. We do have poachers who will set cage traps and pitfall traps for, for wildlife, but those are 
pretty much quite rare and isolated cases for the for as far as we know. Um, and of course, Wild Boar do run across the roads and get hit by, by cars and all that. So, but at the same time, there's a very interesting relationship between Wild Boar and people. So in some places, people have uh, been feeding the Wild Boar. So they will come Bad over. Idea. Yes. So, so um, some people, uh, even in urban Singapore, um, they will come, they will go drive over to a spot where the forest meets the sidewalk, literally. And then they will throw bags of rice and bread and potatoes. And the wild boar will just come out in the little herds and start feeding on, on whatever the people have given them. And so there was this incident recently where a, a woman who was just going for a stroll in a nearby park at night, she got charged by a, 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 a wild boar apparently and she got hurt um, quite badly, apparently, um, so I've heard. But uh, then at the same time, this is, con- this is considered very close to where a regular wild boar feeding site is. And so a lot of people have been citing that uh, we have been clearing a lot of the remaining um, uh, wild spaces. So a lot of parts of Singapore, they're not protected. These are places that were once occupied by villagers or agricultural land. And then they were abandoned. And uh, the, in the meantime, the forest has kind of grown back, but they are earmarked for future developments, whether it's for housing or industry or commercial businesses. A lot of these um, unprotected areas have a limited lifespan. But in the meantime, animals like wild boar move in and they settle down over there. So as these places are cleared, wildlife gets displaced. Um, so wild boar among them, but also feeding exacerbates the issue and then they'll come to out to the streets they'll come out to the parks and they will uh because they have been habituated they're not so scared of people and so in cases they will actually come up to people and uh and cause issues with residents and so there's been some petitions going around to oh save the wild boar but then there's also been people um, calling up their representatives and saying, oh, we, we want you to deal with the wild boar problem in our neighborhoods. So there's this tension going on right now with how do we manage um, yeah. wildlife once as, as large and, and uh, contentious as wild boar. No, it's tricky because it's, uh, yeah. I like to think of them as, as white tail. like we have white-tailed deer, right? And we have mm-hmm. raccoons. And it's kind of like those, but bigger and they can kill you. Um, potential, you know, so it's a, uh, it's. We, I will also add, in lots of them in the United States, we have black bears in urban yeah. settings. True, true. So it's a comparable kind of problem. Yeah. yeah. And we also have our share of wild boars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, you're like in Dallas. No, Tony, you were thinking about that before. Yeah. 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 I've seen um, it down in Texas. Yeah. Recently, there was this video that was going around where this, uh, because of COVID-19 and the pandemic, um, people can't travel overseas. So there's been this huge surge of visitors to our parks and nature reserves and other green spaces. And a lot of these people, they don't really know how to deal with wildlife. So people have been unwittingly getting their food and drinks snatched by wildlife. Uh, in most places, it's the long tail of the cats, right? Uh, monkeys are, are a common sight in many of these um, forested areas. But in one of these uh, green spaces on an offshore island of Singapore called Pulau Ubin, 
there is this herd of wild boar that's been habituated by years of a regular feeding. And recently, this visitor, she, she had food in her bicycle basket and the wild boar was actually going up towards her and snatched the food right out of the bicycle basket while, while she was trying to steer the bicycle away from her. And then there are other videos of the wild boar pushing the bikes over and grabbing the food that's in them and all that. So this is not exactly urban, but this is a, a, an escalation of the old relationship between humans and wildlife where it used to be, oh, we're so scared of them, would they attack us? And then on the other hand, you have people who feed them and then they become overly friendly. So there's this interesting, um, I would say dilemma, you know, how do you get people to not fear wildlife, but also not uh, treat them as pets yeah. and, and feed them like that. So it's, 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 a, it's a, an issue that I think people here in Singapore have to learn to grapple with because uh, we like our greenery, we like our green spaces, but it comes with all this um, wildlife that is just trying to live among us. Awesome. So I think that's a, that's a good place to end. Um, don't feed the wild boar. Um. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think general rule of thumb is don't feed mammals, you know, feed yeah. birds, you know, some birds that you you know, have a bird feeder fine, but stop with the birds. <laughs> don't feed any mammals. It's just the general good rule of thumb. Oh, it's it, a very it, good rule. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So Singapore, by the way, we can't feed birds. Yeah. You're uh, not, you're not allowed. You're not allowed to feed birds because they usually, if you do it in your out your kitchen window, you're probably just going to attract miners and pigeons and crows. Mm. Uh, but people still, still do that, and then um, that's when they get pigeon and miner and crow conflict going on in the urban areas. Huh. So yeah, so illegal. Well, then, then <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't feed it's those either if you're in Singapore, but wherever you are, yeah. don't feed the boars. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's wrap it up and, and I'll thank Ivan for getting in contact with us and joining us for this discussion. Um, uh, Tony, any final words? I, I just want to thank you uh, for sharing that with you. Um, I think Singapore is a, what I, it's a great city. Um, if you, I think people should definitely visit there and, and give Ivan a, a holler, uh, going on a tour with them. Yeah.